Welcome to the Therapist Rising podcast, where we share real, raw, and behind-the-scenes stories and lessons from therapists who are thinking outside the traditional clinical box and choosing to do things differently in their careers. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Kelly, and I myself have made the journey from a very experienced but super burnt out and unhappy clinical psychologist turned successful entrepreneur who now runs a business she loves, is thriving financially, and working and living life on her own terms. Join me and be inspired as we speak to other therapists who too are broadening their horizons and experiencing more abundance, joy, and fulfillment than ever before. Together, we will laugh, soak up priceless wisdom, and take actionable steps to help you transition from clinical practice to non-clinical offers and diversify and amplify your income, all the while honing your well-being and having work-life balance. If you're ready to be inspired and take action towards your dreams, then you are in the right place. This is the Therapist Rising Podcast. Welcome to episode five of the Therapist Rising podcast. I am super excited about this conversation today uh, with Dr. Peter Stapleton. We dive into all of the ins and outs of EFT, emotional freedom technique, which is also known as tapping, uh, including the science behind it. We go off on lots of really interesting tangents in terms of its clinical applications, its evidence base, as well as really diving into Peter's journey um, as a business owner, wearing her multiple hats in academic work, clinical work, as a business owner, um, she is quite the superwoman. So I'm really excited to introduce you to her, introduce you to her world. Uh, a little bit more about Peter. Dr. Peter Stapleton is a registered clinical and health psychologist and an associate professor at Bond University in Australia on the Gold Coast who embraces evidence-based and innovative techniques. Peter is a world-leading researcher in emotional freedom techniques, i.e. tapping, and has led a world-first study investigating brain changes after EFT. She was awarded the Harvey Baker Research Award for Meticulous Research by the Association of Comprehensive Energy Psychology and was named the 2019 Psychologist of the Year in the Australian Allied Health Professional Awards. Peter was the author of The Science Behind Tapping, a Proven Stress Management Technique for the Mind and Body, which was published by Hay House. And that book won Best, Self book, Best Self-Help Book of 2019 Book Awards by American Book Fest. So I'm super excited. As I said, as you can tell, I keep saying I'm super excited about this conversation. Um, I've known Peter for a little while now. I know a lot about her journey and I know that she talks, walks the talk. She uses tapping. She uses the modality that she's spending all of her time uh, researching and exploring. She uses that to get through her business journey, basically, to address the inevitable fears that come up that we would all resonate with in terms of, you know, fear of being seen, fear of stepping out into the spotlight, fear of going against the grain. Uh, she uses EFT to address all of that. And we talk a little bit more about that in the conversation today. So I'm super excited and I hope you enjoy it. 
I am super excited about this conversation today. I have been waiting with bated breath to interview Dr. Peter Stapleton and the day is finally here and I'm really excited to see how this conversation unfolds and to hear more about her journey and how she got to where she is in that journey. Uh, So why don't we start? We've got so much to talk about. And I guess my first question is, why don't we start off with a little bit more about you, who you are, and I guess the work that you do for the world? Thank you, Hayley. Absolute pleasure to be here with you. Um, And I'm sure we'll laugh a lot because that just seems to happen. So um, thank you. It's just a pleasure. And always happy to talk about the journey. So I am a clinical and health psychologist here in Australia, but associate professor at Bond University. I guess what my... uh, work is that I'm known for. I mean, I've done a lot of clinical work in the eating disorder field, but coming out of that, I was searching, you know, about 18 years ago now for techniques that would really help that population. Cause I guess I was banging my head against a brick wall, feeling fairly ineffective as a brand new psychologist. Cause my clients weren't getting any better just with mainstream kind of talk therapy, which led me down a rabbit hole and ultimately ended up in my research area today, which was to find a fairly outside the box technique called EFT or tapping, which is what I'm known for today and certainly the research that uh, has gone with that. But back in the day, it it was very unusual. Some people would say it still is, even though we feel like it's um, not so strange these days, but it really was a game changer as far as my client work, my patients, and certainly now where we're at, you know, two decades down the track in the research. So I'm sure we'll get into chatting about what that is if listeners are are new to it. Yeah, absolutely. I I love speaking about particularly the science and the still, I guess, very new in the grand scheme of things, but probably doesn't feel so new for you given you've been working in it for for a long time now. Um, But I really love talking about the science and the growing evidence base for EFT. Can you tell tell us a little bit more about what EFT is and I guess um, why it might be considered fringe by some people still? Sure. So EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. So if someone's kind of going, what is EFT? Sometimes we get electronic funds transfer, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Emotional Freedom Techniques. We nickname it tapping because it uh, describes the technique itself, which is just tapping on known acupuncture points on the face and body. And in its essence, it's just a stress reduction technique. So like learning a certain breathing technique might help someone come back, you know, into a regulated state. Tapping now after two decades of research worldwide shows that what it does is actually regulate the body, not only from a hormone level, cortisol, but brain activity, a whole range of different kind of biological biochemistry biomarkers. So we'll talk about all of that, but All it is, if someone's like, what is that tapping thing, is it's really just a way of actually getting that stress down in the moment, whether that's about something that you're about to do, give a talk and you're feeling nervous, or you're thinking about something that still bothers you from the past. So it is used in therapy, but really it's just a self-applied, self-stress reduction technique. Now, why is it still considered a fringe kind of, um, I mean, I can certainly talk about where we're at. I guess for a lot of people, it is so different to traditional talk therapy approaches where you might process what's going on through that conversation. 
we actually, one, state the problem, which kind of throws a lot of people when we do tapping because they're like, why am I not trying to reframe this or think more positively or try to find meaning? We actually, in tapping, say what the problem is but use the tapping technique itself to actually reduce the intensity of that. So that can be a bit unusual. And the other thing is it looks weird. So let's face it, you know, if I'm sitting here talking to you, Haley, and <laughs> tapping on my face while I'm thinking about being nervous or something like that, people are going to go, what is she doing? So it looks different. And I think that it, when we have something that perhaps doesn't fit the status quo or it's not part of the, the third wave of what we're used to, which has been the cognitive therapies and even, you know, EMDR took a long time to be accepted purely because it had the eye movement strategies. Although we would say EFT belongs in that kind of, field as well. Um, look, it takes about 17 to 20 years for something new to be accepted. We are sitting at that time frame right now. So we've had that behind us. And I can certainly tell you where we're at and where we're sitting with the evidence base, because we can absolutely see that, you know, that 17 year translational gap is true for EFT and it, it was for EMDR as well. So that's exciting times, certainly from the inside, we know things are changing. Definitely. And I've done some training in EFT as well as EMDR. And immediately I did my EFT tapping training first and then did EMDR. I went, oh my gosh, I can actually see a lot of potential. I don't know the science behind EMDR necessarily, but I could potentially see a lot of overlap between the two, which is really interesting and very exciting, I think. Um, Do you think the other reason why it still might be considered fringe is because it is so accessible to the wider public in the sense that um, EFT once learned by um, a client can potentially be used without oversight by a therapist, unlike many, many of our other modalities. Yeah, I would say that that might kind of feel like some sort of a threat perhaps to the professional um, you know world because maybe they worry that they're going to be done out of a job that kind of thing I would say absolutely not all clients will follow through and do their homework and their own tapping on their on their own just like they don't do homework when they're school students or they're actually clients in another type of modality in therapy so they don't all go home and actually use it some of course will but sometimes they won't actually use it for perhaps the the bigger issues in life that they want. They actually do want to come and be supported in those processes. So if anyone's sort of worried and listening in, you know, thinking, oh, this thing could just, you know, sort of, you know, blow out there and no one will ever need a therapist again, I would say that won't happen Mm -hmm. because people are protected by their own unconscious patterns and things like that. They often won't know the right words to say or how to actually target perhaps a long-standing pattern in their life. So they will come back to get that support. And we absolutely recommend that because, you know, being an objective outsider, it's easier to ask the right questions and things like that. And even myself, you know, 25 years down the track, being a tapper, I still might ring a girlfriend who's skilled and kind of say, look, I'm working through something, but I can't quite see the angle because nothing's shifting, ask me some questions. So that kind of process does happen. But I I can appreciate that people might worry that, oh, everyone's just going to be out there tapping and nobody will have any need for therapy ever again. Um, That won't be the case. (laughs) I I definitely feel that that's true. And and I think the other um, element to that might also be that it is uh, EFT tapping, 
EFT training is widely accessible to non-clinicians to be certified in, um, which I think can be quite threatening to the establishment. Yes. To the profession. So if something is accessible to non-psychologists, is it actually really that evidence-based or I don't know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. no, it's it's actually a really good point, which is why perhaps, you know, we say to people do due diligence when you select somebody to actually go and see if you go and see an EFT practitioner that's certified, certainly go and look at whether or not they've gone through a two to three year training program versus perhaps a certificate course online that took eight weeks you know great difference there certainly in counseling skills so and and there are you know several bodies worldwide where it is a two to three year commitment to actually go through that as a lay person to be trained uh, and yeah I, I do think due diligence does need to be done um, just from the community out there when they're selecting somebody yeah it definitely speaks at a wider issue to the intersectionality between what we probably think of in terms of our profession being very scientifically based and sort of sitting in its own right in its own little bubble with its own very concrete walls when actually um, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it doesn't need to be that hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and sort of that, you know, how the there are lots of other, I guess, more older forms of thought that are probably making themselves more widely known in the sense of the Eastern philosophical traditions being more um, widely spoken about now, which I find really exciting and and challenging to the field, which I think is exciting. (laughs) Yes, yes. Like even um, most recently at the end of 2021, we saw research that came out that definitively shows acupuncture points exist. So uh, Korean researchers, Chinese researchers have been looking at this for probably the last 10 years. And even though acupuncture has been thought of as an energy-based system and, you know, words like meridians and things like that, they've suggested now that perhaps, no, it's a physical vascular system called the primovascular system. And just at the end of 2021, a paper came out that showed the injection of dye into this primovascular system results in a condensation, if you like, a concentration of the dye at the known acupuncture points from all those thousands of years ago with Eastern medicine and those charts you see in your acupuncturist's office. And the sham points that they identified, the non-identified acupoints, had no concentration of dye. So that paper in itself, you know, at the end of 2021, again, more evidence to sort of show it's not energy, it's not meridian. We now know it's physical, it's vascular. And those things exist because there's this vascular concentration. And if you tap on it, put a needle in it, inject it with dye, you'll see that. So we're coming a long way. But look, that that information's not yet out into the mainstream because only academics like me that kind of go, oh, how exciting. I wonder who's read this. Nobody. (laughs) Like, you know, so to get the message out there and kind of say, look, this is well beyond energy here. We're actually impacting a physical system in the body, whether you're having traditional acupuncture or you're tapping on a point. It's exciting to know, though, that, you know, this stuff exists. Absolutely. It just doesn't it just solidify what you see in terms of the outcomes for your clients, I could imagine. Like you see that when that happens, when we do this thing, we get this result. Mm. Um, and now we've got some evidence to actually back up why physiologically that might be the case for them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
And you bring up a good point there, and I'd really love to know more about how do you, and maybe this feeds more into your mission, your bigger mission, but how do you get the word out there? Like what's that process for you? Yes, I guess, you know, many, many moons ago, people don't know um, necessarily that I wanted to be a lawyer. So I came out of high school and I just had our eldest finish grade 12. And I'm like, I remember I was off to do law. And I'm like, that didn't work out. So <laughs> ended up in the psychology track. But I think it was kind of the, I come from a family of teachers. So ending up in an academic job, you know, certainly as a, a clinician as well, but being able to share information and, and it's always been a passion to be able to bridge that academic information into easy to understand whether I'm in a classroom or now in the EFT world, trying to share that research through a podcast or whatever. I've spent the last decade committing to saying yes to every podcast interview, asking people, can I be on your podcast, writing stories for the conversation, which we just had come out or, you know, any kind of form where we can take that information and get it out into the mainstream. And, you know, at an academic level, we call that, you know, impact. What impact are we seeing here? And certainly I think that's actually what's helped the shift, the groundswell in the community, knowing that, no, this stuff works, or I heard this podcast, because they're never going to read a journal article. And I made a commitment years ago that I wasn't trying to change the academic world. I was trying to actually get the information out there to the people where the difference would make. And that is fellow psychologists, fellow social workers, counsellors, psychiatrists, who are using the techniques and that ripple effect, seeing the client. So, yeah, I've often been asked that when I've you know, gone for a promotion and things like that. And they're like, so how come you're doing it all out there in the community and not in the academic world? And I'm like, here's why. <laughs> so um, I must say, I think it's worked. I think the strategy's worked. We have now um, pivoted a little bit and we are coming back into where we can actually affect policy change and that will of course include things like medicare and we're well in our way to doing that because now that is what's important is to get that shift at this level um, because yeah we have such a, a supportive system out there in the real world um, it's time to kind of change tracks yeah and it sounds like you've been on that mission for a long time i want to know how did you maintain stamina <laughs> oh wow <laughs> tapping <laughs> of course <laughs> I'm like I actually have the technique to change stuff <laughs> um yeah it's been two decades now so it's funny you know you know we just had a piece come out in the conversation first time the conversation the academic um you know written by academics for the real world online media source came out in December about tapping first time they'd ever produced anything and if you read the comments it created quite a a kind of debate underneath of you know what people thought not that I was worried it got two and a half million or something like that reads like you know um to 20 20 years now down the track you know people are like oh this EFT thing overnight and I'm like no 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 been doing this for 20 years you know um I guess ultimately I enjoy it so 20 years of clinical trial research and things like that, and, you know, we've just come out the back of an 18-month trial, I enjoy it. Tapping itself, if I'm using it with clients or overseeing a trial, keeps you energised because you're actually using the technique yourself when you're working with people. And I think that is something that our traditional talk therapy approaches can really fatigue the clinician because you are the one doing the cognitive work and kind of, you know, trying to think ahead and, 
trying to work out. I don't do any of that with tapping. I just stay in the present moment with what the person's telling me. They make the shift purely through the tapping technique. So I go home and I feel good. So I would have to say that that's actually why. If I was doing any other approach, I might not feel like that. I mean, we all have times where we're like got mountains of things we've got to get through because I actually do have a normal academic job where we, you know, do other types of research and we teach and we supervise. But ultimately, yeah, I enjoy what we do. So I think that probably comes back to that, you know, if you enjoy what you do, you never have to worry about working or whatever that saying is. Um, it's like, yep, yeah, it's pretty good. This is pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. The is the correct me if I'm wrong in saying this, the technical term for that borrowed benefits where you're as someone tapping along with a person who's actually doing the tapping, you get the benefits. Yes, that's right. And yeah. Don't know that there's any other approach really that gives you that benefit. It's a bit like free therapy for the therapist because you're just sitting there and mimicking what it is that they're saying to guide them, but you genuinely are keeping yourself regulated. So, you know, lots of our therapists out there that are trained can comfortably see seven and eight clients a day, and but they're tapping with all of them. So they're actually getting eight hours of tapping on their own physiology as a therapist, and none of them are fatiguing. None of them are having burnout or having compassion issues, you know, at that fatigue level, which that is unheard of. I agree. And my mind immediately goes to, is there any research on that yet? <laughs> no. No, I, I, we probably could canvas the, um, the field at large. But that, oh, wow. that's pretty normal that most of them are, are carrying those. But then they're not burning out because they actually, yeah, okay, new paper coming out. Hayley. Definitely. I'm, I'm going to co-author this. <laughs> we'll do that together. We will canvas the field. <laughs> Sounds good. I think that's that's incredible. Uh, that's actually blown my mind a little bit, even if it's just anecdotal, um, to think that what, you know, one of the biggest things that we face in this profession is burnout, right? That we get compassion fatigue and burnout. And, you know, not only does that cause therapists and psychologists to be, I guess, less effective at their job, but it causes them to leave. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So if we can find ways to be addressing that, that goes beyond the traditional self-care, take a bath, smell some you know smell some nice things surely that's got to be a good thing that feels exciting yeah and there (laughs) there have been published studies already on tapping for burnout so particularly in teachers so those Mm -hmm. studies have actually been done uh, and a couple of others nurses have just been published in 2021 so certainly it's being applied for burnout um, with great success so statistically significant outcomes so yeah that's and to us that explains why our practitioners are out there and working in the field, comfortably seeing that many clients and feeling pretty happy at the end of the mm. Yeah, like circumventing burnout in yeah. the first place, which that's is, right. that's super exciting. Uh, asterisk that for us to come back to, Peter. Um, that feels super exciting. What else does tapping or what else is tapping currently used for in terms of clinical application? Particularly the trauma space. So there is a mountain of research that has come out of mostly the US where they 
um, obviously have such a returned vet uh, sample, so, you know, coming back from the wars and things like that. The level of post-traumatic stress disorder in some of those vets is, is particularly concerning. So it has always been applied in that area and um, is used at that trauma level, obviously with skilled practitioners um, really regularly. So the research even in that area um, has even drilled down to DNA changes. So clinical trials have shown that um, you know, for a group of war vets uh, who went through a 10, a, a fairly normal 10 session program um, using EFT for PTSD, um, not only found that they didn't meet criteria for PTSD, even at six month follow up, but six genes associated with that stress response, hypervigilance, that kind of thing, downregulated or stopped expressing themselves and didn't upregulate again. So tapping, we've had other DNA gene studies published as well. Uh, absolutely changing the biochemistry there so it is you know the minute you tell your body you don't have to be stressed about that anymore whatever it is they're thinking about like a past memory or whatever um the genes respond to that so lots of studies cortisol being measured as well those types of things so trauma as a general topic absolutely being used we've spent the last 15 years here at bond university investigating tapping for part of the obesity crisis so certainly things like you know, severity of food cravings, emotional eating, difficulty in losing weight, you know, um, sometimes there's things in the background of those types of people trying to lose weight that could be around trauma. So we've spent 15 years in every application possible. So, you know, live versions, online, self-paced, everything, all of them coming up statistically significant and even two-year follow-up showing the food cravings don't return, the emotional eating doesn't return, people lose weight. So we spent our time sort of investigating in that area, but it's really far reaching. We've done school trials for students with self-esteem, resilience, fear of academic failure, um, you know, phobias have been looked at. We've just come out of 18 months of chronic pain research. So we've actually uh, just finished our chronic pain research. I'm knee deep in the data um, and that included fMRI. So we scanned our patients' brains before and after a six-week EFT program. We measured their vagal tone with Stephen Porges' team from the US. So I've got little devices that measure vagal tone activity. Um, so we've looked at self-paced versions of that versus live. So I'll be able to talk, talk about that probably within the next six months and the outcomes there, but I'm already getting the emails following up saying, can you please, you filled your, you know, you completed your program a year ago, please fill out my survey. And getting emails back saying, oh, I forgot I was in your program because I don't have any chronic pain anymore. And our average length of suffering was 14 years. People had had chronic pain for 14 years. And these <laughs> emails coming through going, oh, I forgot about you because I don't have my pain anymore. And I'm like, great, fill out my survey. <laughs> so <laughs> you just sort of sit back and I still am, am kind of surprised, not surprised because we know it happens, but it's just humbling to kind of go, oh, wow, this person, mm. great. It's good they forgot about us because that means they don't have their issue anymore, that kind of thing. So it is really, it's far-reaching, you know, uh, of the applications. And it does beg the question, and I get asked, how can it work for so many things? You know, how can tapping on your face work for food cravings, to phobias, to chronic pain, to trauma? And the only thing that we're affecting in all of those issues is stress. So if there's stress in any of them or there's a feeling, an emotion, somebody has a feeling about having their pain, someone has a feeling about their food craving, and we target that, it actually reduces the original issue. So if people can just sort of take that away and kind of go, mm, all right, if I just actually target stress through this tapping to do with my issue, 
that's how I get the release. That is why we see it working for so many different things. And literally, you know, you can give it a go on anything and you'll probably get an outcome. That is so interesting, isn't it? Because it, it, that immediately popped into my mind is there must be some underlying common theme here. And, and I, I guess what you're saying when you say stress is something about the nervous system is common among all of these disorders. And it really does take me to thinking about the, the transdiagnostic research that yep. is particularly, I guess, very present in the CBT area. Um, yep. But these commonalities that, you know, we get stuck, we get so stuck in <laughs> the nuance and the surface level um, that we're probably missing the point. Yeah, and I think it just comes back to that autonomic nervous system. So that is what we're exploring with, you know, the polyvagal theory at the moment to sort of say, if your autonomic nervous system is out of whack for whatever reason, you know, in the moment you've got to give a speech or, I don't know, you've got a phobia or you're still thinking about your mother calling you a name when you were three, then there's still something dysregulated there every time you you bring up that memory. So what we're doing is we're actually impacting that. So and what we're noticing through tapping over time is those changes seem to persist. So we come back to memory reconsolidation theory that if you give the brain a different experience when you're thinking of that, let's just call it distress, if you give the brain a different experience in that moment, then it has the opportunity to kind of rewire itself and those that brain stays open for about five hours after tapping. So as long as, you know, you don't go and encounter your mother-in-law again or something like that, then the ability then of the brain to kind of rewire down five hours later and go, oh, that doesn't bother me anymore. We're noticing in our follow-up studies year, two years down the track that it hasn't actually kind of rewired back to the original. The brain has that ability through neuroplasticity. It's just you have to give it a different experience in the beginning. And for other people, that could be EMDR or it could be a different somatic approach. It could genuinely be something like, you know, a breathing technique in the height of the phobia. And as long as the body gets a different experience, that is memory reconsolidation. You've got that ability there to actually, um, it's just that tapping can generalize. So you don't often have to tap on every single thing that bothers you. Food cravings are a good example. Someone can tap on one type of chocolate bar that they really love and it generalises to all chocolate. So they don't have to do all the chocolate bars in the supermarket and they come in and they go, win, <laughs> you know. Wow. Yeah, so that happens, which doesn't often happen with some of our traditional kind of step plan exposure approaches say for OCD and things like that you often have to target them all but in tapping you actually don't which I think that that's cost effective for certain for one thing hell yes especially when we're stuck in our you know very traditional Medicare models and all the rest of it where time is of the essence exactly right that definitely makes for a very effective treatment yep Hi there, friend. I'm so sorry to interrupt the amazing conversation that is happening right now, but I just wanted to quickly tune in and let you know of the amazing training that we have available currently on our website. We know that you want to step away from the clinical space and build a business on your own terms, but we also know that you probably don't know where to begin, right? So normal. And like any other journey, embarking on a new adventure, it can be super confusing and sometimes scary. And so that's why we've created a map for you. And to top it off, it's 
free, of course, introducing to you a therapist's guide to diversifying your clinical practice and creating a one-to-many offer. It's a free video workshop with an accompanying workbook that will teach you the six steps to creating an abundant and successful non-clinical business that you love. So whether you want to create an online workshop, webinars, retreats, small in-person group programs, evergreen digital offers, coaching services, or whatever your heart desires, this free workshop is going to light your way forward and bring your journey into the six simple to execute but transformational steps that you need. If you want immediate access right now so that you can start building your non-clinical business of your dreams, head over to www.therapistrising.com forward slash training to get access now. And now back to the conversation. Awesome. Okay. So I know that you also are not just an academic, that you still are in the clinical world. Can you tell us a little bit more about the other side of your professional life in that respect? Yeah, so I've always been a practicing psychologist um, and certainly our academic jobs here allow us that for recency of practice. So we are allowed a day a week to maintain that kind of thing. Um, So my area has always been eating disorders. So for whatever reason, it was actually way back 25 years ago that um, I was probably the only psychology student any family ever knew in our area and someone's daughter had an eating disorder and went oh you're a psychologist and I'm like not really (laughs) they're like can you ever chat to her I had no idea what I was doing but I guess the the interest in and she certainly went on to recover I truly don't think it was anything I said to her but you know maybe just having another teenager to chat to I kind of got interested in oh this is really curious the way you know, and um, I'm an internal locus of control person myself and seeing that in anorexia and and I guess being patient enough to kind of just build rapport and I learned a lot about, you know, internal timeframes and what it would take for these, you know, young people. It, it was at the time that I was finding the traditional talk therapies weren't working well and we know that now through research, particularly anorexia, that I went off to explore other things. Uh, but it kind of found me, if you like, and I've run support groups and you know, done lots of clinical work at that outpatient level. And I must share that, um, you know, the hospital system certainly have still been fairly resistant to EFT tapping because it's a bit weird, you know, where's the evidence base, that kind of thing. And most recently, end of 2021, got the phone call from the local hospital saying, um, so we would like to introduce tapping during the refeeding program in the anorexia ward. Can you come in and train everybody? And I'm like, oh, it's only taking Wow. So I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So that's about to actually kick off, um, which is fantastic. So head psychiatrist there, uh, quite a psychodynamic approach. And, and I'm like, yep. Then she goes, they don't do well during the refeeding. And I'm like, no, it's incredibly stressful time, not only for all the cognitive element going on. So um, my only deal was if I teach the young people how to tap during that process, mum and dad's have to learn how to tap as well. So that's that's nice. my that's my caveat. <laughs> so that's about to kick off. So I'm like, yeah, you know, just because we've been using it in private practice for some time anyway, as a stress management tool, as a technique there that can just help people stay regulated, you know, while we then can do other conversations to use other kind of techniques under CBT or mindfulness or ACT or whatever it might be. So, yeah, so I have always balanced, balanced the both and, and now do a lot of supervision in the area too. So we, we do a lot of supervision for endorsement and 
the next generations coming through. Gosh, my gosh, you're a busy woman. And my understanding is not on top of your academic and your clinical roles, you also have a training um, business. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, just those ideas you have in the middle of the night. So a girlfriend and I, um, and she's sort of been in the health and wellness field herself and grew up with a mum, which was very unusual at the time. Her mum was a naturopath and so grew up in that world. And obviously that was not accepted, you know, 70 years ago. Anyway, we were having a chat one day just about all of it, the conferences we go to and present. And that's something I've always done is go to mainstream conferences and talk about EFT and, you know, just see what happens, that kind of thing. We were looking at each other going, it'd be really cool if we had a conference that, you know, we could invite speakers that we would want to go and listen to because I don't want to listen to all the mainstream people I've heard all the time. So, you know, really cool, cutting edge kind of stuff. So we thought, all right, well, it doesn't exist. Let's create it. So we did. So we created a um, training company that is also that conference-based one called Mind Heart Connect. And so we have successfully run two uh, in-person conferences here in Australia where we flew in. US speakers um, and uh, England as well, that we're in that mind-body space, certainly people big in the EFT world, but the meditation world as well, just to offer that. And they were highly successful. Then we had a pandemic. So we've done most of our other trainings online since. But parallel to that has been obviously EFT training for health professionals. And we have a charity attached to that uh, um, company, which actually goes and teaches Indigenous communities and rural and refugee communities EFT free of charge um, through our charity donations so that we're we're treating intergenerational trauma and things like that in Western Australia and parts of Broome and areas like that, which has been highly successful. And they embrace it. The Indigenous communities don't think tapping's weird. uh, And once they learn what they can use it for, um, it's actually been the most powerful process to see and that, that charity and company has also been able to support other disasters around the world through uh, free EFT training, for example. You know, when the earthquakes happened in Christchurch and then we had the shooting over there uh, and as well as in Parkland, Florida, where we've had some shootings, we've been able to actually offer our online programs free of charge, uh, EFT for teachers and students and people in the community. So it's been, um, yeah, they're those moments you sit back and kind of go, had no idea, and I've got goosebumps, no idea, no idea that um, that was going to come out of this. But, you know, to be able to offer that, you know, in those times of need and just be able to get those tools out there has been amazing. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely have goosebumps too because, like, that's what it's all about for us, right, to be able to leave a really positive impact on the world in whatever way, shape and form that's going to be for us. And my mind immediately goes back to, you know, to circle back to an earlier part of the conversation where you were saying this piece that you've done for the conversation, um, which is very much mainstream media about a quote unquote fringe therapy and the comment section being quite diversive. It really highlights that you probably have to have waded through a lot of opinion and pushback and backlash in your career in developing all of these things that you've developed. What has that backlash looked like for you? And then second to that is how have you handled it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I probably um, in the early days, so tapping was offered to me by a colleague um, and again, he 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 didn't sell it well. So he's like, I've come across this really weird thing. I'm like, what are you 
you talking about? Awesome. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Because I was just complaining and whinging that, oh, my clients aren't getting better and well, I'm not very good as a psychologist. My self-esteem was all being affected. Um, and he's like, I've got this weird thing. And then back in the day of dial-up internet, so, you know, it's taken him forever to kind of watch videos. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. He had come along to an eating disorder support group and because um, we were running them weekly here on the Gold Coast and we were getting 50 women at these groups. And I'm like, come and help me. Anyway, um, a young girl had a panic attack in the middle of the group. So he just sort of said, I'll just take her outside. And I'm like, okay, because we were always teaching a different topic. Something had triggered her. Anyway, they were back like five minutes later and she was calm and composed and I was convinced he'd given her a Valium or something. I'm like, oh, highly unethical. I'm going to have to have a chat to him. <laughs> anyway, everyone leaves. And I said, what happened there? Like she was clearly having a panic attack, hyperventilating. I said, what happened outside? Tell me you didn't do anything unethical. And he went, no, I just did that tapping thing I've been trying to tell you about because I'd sort of just brushed him off. But because I'd seen this very short-term kind of, you know, impact, I was like, okay, you need to tell me more. And that obviously started my journey. And, yes, there were moments where talking to girlfriends because I tried to get someone to come to a training with me because I'm like, I'm not going by myself. I have to take someone, you know. She's like, what is this? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) So, you know, having those moments of, oh, wow. So it's like a double-edged sword. Oh, wow, this really works. What will people think? Mm. This is weird. So, yes, we absolutely had that intersect happening. And this was pre sort of too much in my academic. I wasn't using it academically, but we were kind of like, oh, this really works and people are getting better. But I don't know how to tell people what this is. And back, the original recipe actually included eye movements as well, which is that overlap with EMDR. The clinical trials no longer use it, but um, it was even weirder with eye movements and kind of, you know, hemispheric changes and stuff with humming and singing and all sorts of things. We don't use any of that now. So what we did, girlfriend and I, because she was part of all my research as well, was we sat down and we wrote down all our issues about talking about tapping and then we tapped on them. So we actually did tapping on our worries and mine in particular being an academic and a young academic, so early career, what will people think of me? Will they attack me? Like any of those feelings and I tapped on them. So I actually recommend to people if they kind of come through our trainings and they are healthcare professionals and they are licensed and registered, if they're worried, I say tap on the worry. Tap on the worry now in the training because when you don't have the worry, it doesn't come up. So it's almost like that magnet kind of mirror effect. And I've done that as we've gone through, you know, all these years worth of trials. And even that very first trial we ran where I went on today, tonight to advertise, I've got this food craving trial, you're going to do this. And I had a chocolate muffin with a reporter, you know, and I'm like, even my boss at the time went, nobody's going to come to this. This is weird, but okay, knock yourself out. Four and a half thousand people responded for that clinical trial, the first one. He fell over my boss because he was a GP and just sort of went, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) No idea what I'm doing. And the reporter a year later, I rang him and said, oh, we've got our results. He goes, I don't know what you did that day, but I can't eat chocolate muffins anymore. (laughs) Oh, the poor thing. (laughs) Poor guy. He didn't miss them, but, you know. So even kind of going through the process and certainly in my academic world, going for promotion and having to go, you know, to panels and things like that, I always come back to, do I have any concerns? Do I have any worries? Am I worried about what people think? And I just do some tapping on it. Now, the conversation piece, you know, bless my colleagues out there were sending me messages over Christmas going, oh, have you read this comment? Have you read this comment? And I'm (laughs) no, not really. Because I'm like, I know what people are going to say. And they are going to be comments around, 
no, I don't believe this is, you know, fringe. This is quackery. This is, I can't believe the conversations printed this. But then what was happening was other people, unbeknownst to me, were coming in and commenting and giving whole lists of, you know, quite high quality journal article references. And so other people were doing it. I didn't respond to any of them. And I'm like, oh, this is really curious. This is real. There is a shift happening and change can make people uncomfortable. So I don't worry too much about it. But, you know, um, certainly when the APA, the American Psychological Association, publish our journal articles, then, you know, that gives us a whole lot of credibility and authenticity. And um, I might share with you that just at the end of 2021, the APA, they have a Division 12 task force that lists all evidence-based treatments, psychological treatments that Medicare look to and things like that. Um, They uh, gave me permission to review EFT for trauma and PTSD for inclusion on that list in 2022. That's this year. That is so exciting. I am in the middle of that at the moment. And that is the first time that that Mm -hmm. invitation has come, which tells us there's enough evidence there. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of clinical trials on EFT now for that wide variety and meta-analysis and systematic reviews and things like that. There's heaps. Mm. So we we now are doing that for the APA and um, come back to you in end of the year and let you know how it goes. So exciting. I guess, but but in saying that, there hasn't always been that evidence base, right? And you've yeah, managed, yeah, you've managed to work through the fear associated with stepping out and being visible and and speaking I guess not necessarily against the grain but certainly like diverting away from the grain way outside the box here and anyone that knows me like I am conservative introverted like a Virgo you know if you want to go star signs like I am not somebody that rocks the boat yet for some reason I go it picked me not the other way around you know I'm out here outside the box and, yeah, I've just used the technique itself to help. Yeah, because I do. I worry about, you know, my core belief as a child was I'm not good enough. So I'm like, man, this was the worst thing to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Just continue to use the technique itself for me, you know, to take it to the next level, to take it to the next level. And that comes back to because I believe it helps people that this is nothing to do with, you know, me, even though I've personally benefited from the technique. This is about this helps people. This is something that can change people's lives and people should know about it and know that there's enough evidence with compared to CBT in so many trials that every trial shows not only is it comparable and gets the same outcomes, it actually gets them in half the session time. So it is more cost effective so, yes, it's the exact same as a gold standard, but you actually achieve your outcomes faster. You just maintain them. And that's in lots of different kind of pockets of disorders. So I just want people to know that because it's like there's options. There's options out there. You don't have to do just these little ones. There's actually others as well. Yeah, and that just, you know, what you've just said there is really incredible. I think the people listening uh, you know, one of the biggest things I hear as a business coach for for therapists who are trying to sort of step out of that one-to-one work and feel like they have these bigger missions, the fear of stepping out, it often stops them in their tracks. Mm. The, the fear of getting in trouble, particularly by the regulating body, mm. so in Australia being APRA, mm. they're terrified and it can it can paralyze them and mean that they don't actually step out, step into whatever it is that they 
I guess they dream to do. And and what you're saying is it's possible and you've tapped the hell out of it. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Just when you think about it, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, it is not safe to be Mm. outside the tribe. It is not safe to be out there on your own. And it does trigger that kind of, you know, really deep sort of, you know, very old, you know, almost that dorsal vagal response too that, yeah, and it's like, well, you know, where does change happen? out there <laughs> so change does happen out there uh, and funnily enough when you're out there if you've cleared it there's actually a lot of people out there with you and that's probably what I found was I was like I'm on my own I'm like well actually I'm not there's like there's heaps and heaps of academics worldwide that are researching this and you know lots of mainstream kind of you know the APS here in Australia our body showcased all our chronic pain tapping videos during National Psychology Week last year because it's got outcomes. So, you know, it's like there's a lot of support when you look for it. So, yeah, it is about that, you know, what am I what am I focused on here, that kind of thing. And tapping can be part of that solution for yourself to actually clear that fear. Yeah, absolutely. And and the the second part of that what you what I'm hearing loud and clear is that community has been one of the biggest um finds in terms of when you've walked out or stepped out into that, you found this community that you were probably really scared of. I'm going to be there by myself standing on this ledge with, you know, pitchforks and, and what have you, but you've actually found community. What has that community done for you in, in terms of either just changed your mindset or different from that? What has that community done for you? The one thing I've really noticed about that community, it was the internet definitely has made it feel like the world's not so large. So feeling like those relationships and friendships were cultivated, even though I hadn't met them in person, you know, eventually you get to go to conferences and and meet these people that you've had these, you know, month, year-long conversations with, so you feel like you know them. But the one thing that struck me about this, whether they're academics researching EFT tapping or, you know, key leaders in the field, is they all walk the talk. So they all do their own tapping. And because they're doing it with clients as well or running clinical trials, they actually are all coming from a space of being quite regulated and centred, which I had not experienced with some of my other kind of, you know, encounters with conferences or colleagues or the field. You know, they might know a skill and be able to teach it, but perhaps don't practice it themselves. And the one thing with tapping is you can't get away from it. If you're tapping with a client in a session, you're doing it yourself anyway. And to me, that's been really kind of heartwarming to kind of know that this field that I interact with or these committees that I sit on or higher education boards that are all about EFT, everybody's doing their own work. And if something comes up, they're on it straight away. And they're like, yep, okay, yep, I'll take that away. And you're like, wow, wow, you don't hear this very often. And they, you know, often do their work and come back. They literally do the work. So I've thoroughly enjoyed that kind of aspect of this and going to you know, conferences, and I can't wait to get back to doing that kind of thing because these are authentic people that are really walking the talk, and I I really like that aspect of the community. And it must have provided you so much comfort and confidence in your own journey. Oh, absolutely, being connected with them. Yeah, absolutely. So just knowing that you know, there's plenty of academics I can talk to about publications and things like that, but then also clinical issues from the field, and they will freely share. There's no element of um, like information hoarding at 
at this level. Um, that's something else I've noticed, I guess, that, yeah, everybody is really supportive and willing to share because the ultimate goal is we're all moving the field forward, you know, whether that's through academic research or clinical outcomes or whatever it is, and everybody wants to support that same aim. So it's almost like there is this collective consciousness goal, which we weren't all realising till we came together. So, yeah. Yeah, and you wouldn't have realised until you stepped out. I wouldn't have found it. Yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. yeah, which is pretty amazing. And I think that provides comfort to people that although it feels like out there is a very scary, lonely place, it is actually fuller than you may think. Yeah, and it is where the magic happens. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I can certainly attest to that as much as you are as well. Yeah. So where can people find you? What are, you, are your current offers that as a health professional people might be able to get involved in? Yeah, so peterstapleton.com is, is the, the main hub. So you'll find lots of information there, lots of free stuff on the EFT if you kind of want to read a little bit more, that sort of thing. Um, that can absolutely direct you to our training website so that if you wanted to explore training as a healthcare professional. So most of our trainings only focus on healthcare professionals who are already working in a counselling role. Uh, we run lots of different trainings there. They have been offered online. We're keen to get back in person, but online has worked really well in the last kind of two years as well. So find all of that information sort of sitting there, all the socials, of course, just under me, Peter Stapleton, um, lots of stuff shared in those kind of spaces too. Fantastic. What would be one piece of advice that you would give budding entrepreneurial therapists who are maybe sitting in their therapy chair at the moment listening to this going, oh, my God, that feels terrifying. I don't know if I can, but I have a mission. There's something, a burning desire in me for more. One, I always say stay open. Stay open to the possibility that something like tapping can help with that. And if tapping is new to someone listening and they want to do that step out, that can be part of the tool to help this process. So we can absolutely link people to someone, you know, in their local area that can just reach out. But to always, even if someone's listening and kind of going, mm, I don't know, I heard about this thing 45 years ago because tapping's been around for decades, not just our last 20 years of research. Again, stay open to where the field has got to, that we're not about energy and meridians. We are about a physical system in the body that's actually being impacted here and we've got lots of biological kind of studies on that. And ultimately, staying open is where the answers might actually come in rather than kind of, you know, fixating on this only this one thing that to open up and kind of go, I wonder what else is possible I'll leave you with um, a really lovely way that we use tapping sometimes is not to focus so much on a problem because you can do positive tapping, but we get people to do what if tapping. So we get them to tap through the pressure points and just say, what if? And then obviously the end might be your goal that you would like to come through. And just to tap on these what if statements. And it's, it's a really lovely way to use tapping to actually kind of become aware of possibilities. So, yeah, anyone that wants to explore um, tapping can try that. That's exciting. 
I really like that. So that's almost like positive future templating right there. Absolutely. Oh, very exciting. Awesome. All right, Peter, this has been such a pleasure. I thank you so, so much for joining us. We will link all of your socials and your website in the show notes. So if people would like to do some training with you and discover the benefits of tapping, um, but also to just be exposed to your business mind, because clearly you have quite a quite a working business mind, (laughs) Um, then they will be able to at least develop a relationship with you and and learn from the best. Uh, So we'll link all of that in the show notes. I thank you so much again for being a guest and being present with me today and sharing so much of your journey. It has been a wonderful journey for me. Thank you so much, Hayley. You're welcome. Thanks so much for joining me for the Therapist Rising podcast. We publish new episodes every Wednesday. If you're loving this content and it speaks to you, please be sure to head over to subscribe and give us a rating and a review. It would mean the world to us. We will see you next time for the Therapist Rising podcast. Podcast.